Welcome to a new episode of Land Grant Holy Land in Conversation. My name is Matt Timonini. On this podcast, we talk to people in and around Ohio State Athletics and the sporting world at large to bring you a different insight and perspective to the teams, athletes, and university that you love. On today's episode, we are in conversation with Josh from College Football Nerds. If you're unfamiliar with their site, they put together these great videos breaking down the biggest matchups every week of the college football season from a statistical and analytic perspective. We recorded this interview right as they were releasing their second video covering the Ohio State and Alabama National Championship game. The second video includes their statistical model, which we will get into in depth, as well as talking about how to factor in the unusual season that the Buckeyes have had, what we can take away from Ohio State's win in the Sugar Bowl over Clemson, and much more. You can find all of the College Football Nerds videos on YouTube at youtube.com slash collegefootballnerds. You can follow them on Twitter at CFBNerds. All right, without further ado, here's my conversation with Josh from College Football Nerds. All right, Josh, um, as we are recording, like literally there's like a minute left before you drop the part two of your Ohio State Alabama National Championship pregame videos. So we haven't watched it yet. I haven't seen it, but I'm just going to go out on a limb and assume that your model has predicted Ohio State to win the national championship by such a large margin that we don't actually have to play the game next Monday. Is that a fair diagnosis of what your model actually says? Um, yeah, sure. We'll uh, we'll go with that. We can just uh, end the conversation there. And uh, yeah. yeah, we'll see everybody in, in 2022, right? <laughs> um, obviously, that is not the case. Um, Ohio State is coming into the national championship game. Uh, a surprise contender. I think probably the perceptions of their chances against Alabama have changed quite a bit over the past few weeks, but we are um, coming into it with a much different point of view as to what Ohio State can accomplish against a team like Alabama. And I think the metrics have kind of reflected that. So I wondered... We were all surprised by Ohio State's ability to not only score on Clemson's defense, but for me, most importantly, how they were able to stop Clemson's offense from scoring at will as they have for most of the season. As you look at the numbers for what a potential Ohio State-Alabama game looks like, has the model for what that game is changed significantly with that data point of Ohio State versus Clemson? Or is it still relying so much on the uneven, wonky regular season for the Buckeyes? So our model doesn't really shift a ton from game to game. Uh, right. Now, there's there's some stuff that gets injected when you have a little bit of out-of-conference data points. Now, we don't weight it more than we normally would just because this is a COVID year. And with only one game, and that game being the bowl games, it's still a pretty minor point of the data right now. And I think that's important. We've all watched the game of football, right? It's a game with a funny ball, bounces funny ways, weird things happen. <laughs> if you start trying to treat individual games as sort of a be-all, end-all metric of a team, you can walk yourself into a hole quickly. Um, and, and I'll give you a couple examples, right? You know, you see Ohio State destroy Clemson, but then early in the year, uh, you saw Ohio State struggle with an Indiana offense that isn't nearly as good as Clemson's offense. You see Alabama have a pretty workmanlike performance against Notre Dame. And then for context of that, everyone I've seen has talked about, well, we just saw Clemson destroy Notre Dame. So clearly Clemson's a far superior opponent. Now I totally agree. Clemson is a better team than Notre Dame, 
But Notre Dame did also beat Clemson at an earlier point in the year and beat them when Skalski was out and they, they had some injury issues. I'm not saying any of that is dispositive. Um, and I hate to kind of give a non-answer, but I think the thing everyone has to keep in mind is, you know, we saw Notre Dame Clemson play twice and you saw two very different results. And if you try to use one or the other to gauge an entire season, it's a mistake. So our, our model does work off the theory that the whole season matters. Um, and especially in these COVID years, things do vary quite a bit from the model, but we're just trying to get a decent baseline idea of, of how the game is yeah. going to go. Well, and that was going to be my my question is obviously the reason, in my opinion, that the two Clemson-Notre Dame games varied significantly is because of the players that didn't play for Clemson in the first game. Obviously, I still think it would have been a close game as it was, um, you know, fairly competitive the second time. Um, but I think Clemson would have won, and I think that's a fairly safe assumption. So in is there any way for the model or metrics in general to account for a substantive number of players being out like Ohio state had in the, in the big 10 championship game where they were missing 24 players. Um, does the result against Northwestern look different from a numbers perspective because of the number of people that were missing versus who actually had the opportunity to play on Clemson? Or are they just all thrown in together? And because it's a weird season in the middle of a pandemic, you just take what you got. You just have to throw them all in together. You could yeah. try to take out individual players, and people sometimes ask, well, why Why don't you account for weather? Why don't you account for this guy being missing? Okay, you know, if you look at a previous game, <laughs> how much was your inside linebacker worth in the win to Penn State, right? Like, th there's no way to quantify that. Right. Uh, and so anytime you try to mess with guys that are absent, the only thing you can do is say, okay, I'm going to only look at the games where X person was playing quarterback. Like at Indiana, you can do sure. something where you say, I'm just going to throw out the games where Phoenix was healthy and only look at the games where he was hurt. But for stuff like Northwestern one-offs, about all you can do is omit them. Um, something we do in our model, it's, it's kind of funny. People talk about FCS games and the ACC and the SEC. We throw FCS out. Um, entirely. It, it's not considered in any way in our model. And yeah. and that's that's the thing you really, the only thing I think you can do objectively is, is just discount data that isn't probably going to be very relevant. Um, beyond that, any attempt to adjust the numbers for stuff like guys missing for COVID or whatnot, you're just taking your own subjective opinion for how much that guy mattered. And you're going to say this game, I need to, you know, unweight it by this amount or weight it heavier by this other amount. And you're effectively, your model is no longer giving you this baseline, right? I mean, the whole goal is to say, here's a neutral number that I can cite to this number, and that's not my own personal bias or anything like that. Um, this number is, you know, what my computer spits out for every game every every year. And if I think it's wrong because of those reasons, now I talk off it. And we disagree with the model all the time for quantifiable yeah. reasons. And I know we're dropping the video, but... Um, I'll go ahead and if you want, I can go ahead and tell you what the model predicted in this game. I don't mind yeah, doing that. Let's do it. Let's um, do it. So the model in this game actually. Hold, wait, hold on. Hold on. Oh, can okay. I guess? Can I guess before you drop it? Go ahead. All right. So what what All would right. be your guess for? We'll say score prediction. I'm, I'm gonna make this hard on you. What's a guess for score okay. prediction? And then what's your general guess for like per play yardage predicted for each team? Ooh. Okay. Um, I will say. Um, if I was going to go for a score, I would probably go like 42 for Alabama to 
30 for Ohio State. So I think a, 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 an 11 to 12 point difference um, between them. So I would go that and then a per play average. Um, let's see. For Ohio State, I would go with per play somewhere in the um, uh, let's say eight and a half yards. And uh, this is out of my wheelhouse, but maybe 10 for Alabama. So your uh, your margins were pretty much spot on. The only difference is really scaling. It has Alabama 48, Ohio State 36. So you're right, 12-point margin. Um, Your per-play numbers were a little high. I mean, 10 yards per play is a lot for... I have no idea what I'm talking about. I'm a complete and absolute idiot. So the funny thing is that you actually are about right on passing averages, but it does factor in runs. So 8.2 yards per play to about 6.5, though you were pretty close with the model's prediction for how the passing game is going to look. And... Yeah, I, I think that's somewhat reasonable based off how the season's gone. I mean, Ohio State's been up and down. Uh, and, you know, six and a half yards per play sounds maybe, you know, like, oh, well, we're two yards per play behind. That's really rough. Is it, though? I mean, it's about the same production that you got out of the Penn State game. Um, it's less than Ohio State's had yeah. in a lot of the others. But I, if I can, I'm going to make a, ne- a negative point here that if you've watched our stuff that you've already aware of, but... I do want to give a little bit of perspective about Ohio State's performance in the Clemson game. Ohio State in the Clemson game held Clemson to 6.3 yards per play defensively, and they had 8.88 yards per play offensively. Those numbers are really out of whack with the rest of their season. Uh, The most Ohio State had gained per play was 7.9 against Rutgers, about a yard per play less. And the most they'd held the team to was 7.3 to Indiana, 6.61 to Nebraska. So the one thing I'll flag is I think Ohio State is really good, as referenced by the Clemson game. But having a season-high, season-low sort of situation against a Clemson, that throws up red flags to me, just that you're not going to quite see that level of execution from Ohio State on a regular basis. And there's a lot of reasons why, and we'll go into our video, it's kind of interesting, why we think Ohio State had Clemson's number and had was really well prepared for that game. Mm-hmm. That's not a bad thing for Ohio State. It speaks to the coaching staff, speaks to how smart the players are and how well-prepared they are. But when you're talking about prognosticating a completely different game, your ability to be honed in for one opponent is not necessarily something that's going to occur a second time. So I I do think it's reasonable to say Ohio State doesn't quite replicate that peak performance. And a lot of your agreement or disagreement with the model is going to be, was that game about Ohio State peaking and doing better? Or was that game more a one-off or, you know, sort of a thing where they were super prepared? And I'll, I'll give an important caution. Our model often favors Alabama against Clemson or has in the postseason. And it was 50-50 on which versions you got. Sometimes Clemson was just peaking and they were hitting, you know, 2018 Clemson, Alabama. We've said this a million times. Clemson was at season highs in a number of statistics against Alabama. And Alabama is definitely a better defense than a lot of the teams in the ACC. And they especially were in 2018. But Clemson was just peaking, and they'd hit stuff all year, and they they you know they hit on all cylinders in that game. And then I think people also forget like 2017 Clemson, where they were a total dud offensively. So I still think even having this baseline, yeah, that's sort of the average performance throughout the season. Your real opinion on this game, though, is going to be more based on was Ohio State Clemson who Ohio State is, 
Or was that a game where Ohio State was just super prepared and knew everything they were going to get thrown at them? Well, and I think it can be it can be a little bit of both. You know, I think the fact that Ohio State did some really interesting things with their tempo and how they huddled and when they huddled and how quickly they came out of their huddles, I think that that really uh, had a factor in terms of how Ohio State was able to move the ball on offense. I don't anticipate that being something that is replicable against Alabama. Um, and so how much did that actually play into the fact that they were able to effectively move the ball at will? Uh, against Clemson, I, I don't know. But one of the things that I think has come up for a lot of people in terms of this game from an Ohio State perspective is is we look at the fact that Ohio State threw for 385 yards, um, Justin Fields did, and I mean, that, he was 22 for 28, and that gets rid of a few um, throwaway. So, I mean, the passing game was about as perfect as you could have hoped for. And then you look at these raw stats and see that Clemson um, has a defense or a passing defense that based on what statistics you look at, is significantly better than Alabama's. But anybody who watches either of these teams knows that their opponents uh, uh, matter different. The way the style of their how their opponents play is different. And when you dig down a little deeper, um, Alabama actually doesn't have that much worse of a pass defense in terms of like the advanced analytics than Clemson does, which I think might make Ohio State fans a little bit more nervous about whether they were able to actually do this same thing against Alabama that they saw last Friday. Yeah, and I can comment on that too. And it's again, kind of a which statistic do you want to take situation. I've seen a lot of Ohio State fans cite total yardage statistics for where Alabama and Clemson are respectively. And in yards per game, Alabama's given up about 240 yards per game. Clemson is giving up 214. Um, And that's only 30 yards, but the difference between those two is like 30, 40 places in the uh, total yardage marks because the truth is everybody's giving up 200 to 250 yards. (laughs) Um, But if you start looking at QB rating and uh, yards per attempt, it flips on its head hard. Alabama is actually a top 25 pass defense in yards per attempt. There's 6.7 yards per attempt. We say seven and a half yards per attempt is competent. So the average team is not competent against Alabama. Clemson's 69th at 7.5. And they were, these numbers were about the same. Clemson's a little worse, but it was actually about the same going into the bowls. Um, And QB rating there, it kind of balances out, but Alabama's again ahead. 19th for Alabama and QB rating allowed on average. Clemson's 35th. We are heavily of the opinion that per play yardage is more important. What it, this comes down to, if you want to process those three stats, teams simply threw the ball significantly more against Alabama than Clemson. They faced 435 right. pass attempts. Clemson faced 340 because Alabama's offense was so explosive, right? They would get a three-score lead very quickly. Clemson was not that explosive throughout the year. And teams were going to have to throw the ball. Look, the fact that somebody threw literally a third more against Alabama doesn't mean Alabama's bad. Um, right. So I, well, I do... Because I, they score so quickly on offense, that means there are going to be more possessions for the opponent to throw the ball, especially if they're down. So just the fact that they are turning, not turning it over like in fumbles and interceptions, but they're giving the ball back to their opponents because they're scoring so quickly uh, will increase that as well. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, another way to look at it is Alabama allowed 14 touchdowns and over 400 attempts. Clemson allowed 17 touchdowns and about 100 less attempts. And and I'm not saying that means Alabama is an elite pass defense. I I think the truth of the matter is that I think Clemson's pass defense is way more suspect than a lot of people realized because of the yardage numbers and a lot of other things, shortened games. Um, They were probably a bottom half nationally pass defense. 
And that's even before you adjust for the ACC. We talked about that a lot in our video. And you know, look, we spent time trying to trying to make sense of what a game is because you have to do that to look at the next one. Um, and it is always as much a negative about the team that loses as it is a positive about the team that succeeds. Um, so on that end, I do think Clemson's defense was singularly exposed. And I'll be honest, I think if North Carolina had played Clemson, I think there's a very good chance North Carolina would have won that game in retrospect. Hmm. But that's not to say that Ohio State isn't awesome because like you said, Ohio State was darn near perfect. 13.8 yards per attempt, six touchdowns. Um, you know, Even if you buy that Clemson's pass defense is really suspect, that doesn't explain how you go 22 of 28 for 385 yards. I mean, that, that right. requires a really high-level elite passing offense. And so my, my final takeaway there really is, honestly, I think Ohio State is what I thought they were, which is a really high-level uh, passing offense. It's plenty enough to challenge Alabama. I'm just stepping it back a bit and saying I don't expect them to have 14 yards per attempt on Alabama's pass defense. <laughs> no, I would I would love it if they did. Um, but I you know I wonder you know looking at some of these different stats, um, whatever they are, the you know the advanced metrics, some of the things that you mentioned, EPA, all those kind of things. What is an area if it's not going to be necessarily Ohio State's passing offense versus? Alabama's passing defense. Is there an area on either side of the ball where Ohio State matches up specifically well against whatever Alabama does on the other side of the ball? Yeah, I think the answer to that question is run defense. I mean, Alabama's run defense is good. Um, mm -hmm. They're not going to wow you. Uh, and I think if Ohio State really commits to the run, leans on Sermon, it's going to make Alabama uncomfortable. That's going to cause Alabama to bring a safety down or whatnot and get isolation. And you're going to get your shots over the top. Alabama's safeties are a lot better athletically, individually than Clemson's, but their tendency to bust is higher. Uh, it, it's kind of funny when you look at those things. I think Clemson is more like Arkansas defensively than Alabama. Arkansas was one of the better defenses in the SEC this past year, um, but they did it with a very bend but don't break style. And if you looked at you know, their statistics, uh, Alabama was one, Arkansas was two in yard per attempt pass defense. Again, Alabama is not a bad pass defense. It's a little bit of a myth. But Arkansas in particular, like their pass defense was stellar against teams that couldn't throw well, like or teams that lacked great quarterback play. Georgia, Mississippi State, Auburn, Ole Miss, all held to five, six yards per play. But when they played teams that had good quarterbacks, you know, Florida, Texas A&M, they were given over 10 yards per play. Um, I think Clemson, you know, in the way they broke is going to be a little bit different than Alabama. Clemson was not going to do really, really stupid stuff and leave guys streaking uncovered down the field too much. And they focus on having guys that are really scheme sound. And because of that, it's more just about getting your matchups and taking your shots and letting your guys win their battles. With Alabama, you want to confuse them. And the first key to confusing any defense is to stress them with the run because it forces the linebackers and the safeties to play downfield. And if you do that... I think what what results is less Wilson just burning a guy or Olave, you know, getting a good break on a DB, and more Wilson or Olave coming just wide free open. Um, and hmm. I think that's really the biggest advantage Ohio State can do is I haven't seen Alabama face a team that was really really good in the run. Um, 
Georgia was one. Georgia, for about half that game, was really neck and neck with Alabama, mainly because they were running the ball almost at will. And a lot of Georgia fans will tell you angrily that if they just kept running the ball in the second half, they would have kept that game close. Yeah. And, and after that, I mean, Auburn tanks, Tank Bigsby's hurt in that game. Um, Florida doesn't have a run game. LSU's run game was suspect to start with, and they ended up behind where they had to throw it out. So Alabama really hasn't faced another rather good offense. And the other thing I'll, I'll throw out, if you look at that Alabama Ole Miss game, everybody's going to look at the points and just assume Ole Miss torched them through the air. Ole Miss was like two to one run to pass in that game. Ole really? Miss killed them I did by. Not con- yeah, if you look at third down conversions, I'm guessing two out of three was a run. They killed them on counters on a third and eleven and, and stuff like that. That Alabama's playing pass and they would run the ball and the guy wouldn't get touched for 15 yards. Um, and so I do think Alabama's run defense is way more suspect than a lot of people realize. And that's a big advantage for Ohio State going in. How Justin Fields is in terms of health will probably help their ability to run the ball, as you were just talking about, especially on some of those third downs. If a play breaks down, um, someone's going to have to account for Justin Fields. But he's not the only one that may be coming back from an injury or dealing with an injury, as Jalen Waddle could be potentially uh, coming back to the field. He has apparently been cleared to play, um, but in a press conference on Tuesday, Nick Saban said that they're going to take it day by day and just see how he feels throughout the week. How do you factor in somebody? I mean, you know, he's he's probably, you know, someone in his in his position group is going to probably win the Heisman Trophy. And yet they're getting a wide receiver who is actually better than the potential Heisman Trophy uh, candidate. Um, so I just kind of wonder how much does and a Jalen Waddle, who's been out for the majority of the season, add or is there any way to really know what level Jalen Waddle we're actually going to get? The latter part of your question is the determinative one, right? If he was 100% healthy, he adds right. a lot. Sure. Um, I think people are genuinely or genuinely, generally aware of Jalen Waddle, if I can speak correctly. Um, for those that don't know, he led the country in punt return average last year. Um, he w- had over 22 yards per completion before he went injured this year. He really is, I would say he's a better version of Jalen Ragor, and that's an honest take. Um, Waddle and Rager were first and second nationally in punt return average. Um, and and it's not just that they were first and second. Rager had four yards per return better than the third place guy. Waddle was four yards per return better than Rager. Um, they were like, and, and Rager had 50% more punt return yards than the next best guy. And Waddle had... 50% more punt return yards than Rager. Um, so it, I think that should alarm you a little bit if he were 100% healthy, right? That, that you've got a guy of that caliber that could be added into this offense. But the reality is, is he going to resemble that player at all? And I, I don't know that the answer is yes. I, I think it's, it's almost certainly going to be limited. Um, and for a guy that is a very quick twitch player, you take a huge part out of his game if he's got a bad ankle, even if he, you can a lot of times run with good straight line speed, but the quick cutting that he does may go off the table. I think the biggest thing though, that he does for Alabama is it's not about who you are. It's about how good the the guy is that you're replacing. And Slade Bolden has been serviceable in replace of Waddle. I think he's been a bit of a disappointment for Alabama as a third receiver. And I think he's been injured in some other things too, but Waddle, even at, 
80-90% is a significant improvement over Bolden. And if Alabama can put out Smith, Mechie, and an 80% Waddle, that's a far more dangerous team because you were already really just worried about Smith and Mechie. The difference is now the third receiver on the field is another guy that you have to really account for schematically, and that creates a strain. It's the same issue we talked about Florida and how they were uniquely difficult to defend. As much as Florida's receivers were good, and I will say the pure receivers at Ohio State may be better than Florida's, the thing that made them, I think, more difficult to to defend than Ohio State was Pitt's unique ability to go inside or outside. He was actually a dominant blocker. Um, And it was really hard for teams to figure out, like, are you in nickel? Are you in dime? Are you in base? Because they would just flex in and out, and you didn't know what formation you were going to defend in a given play. Waddle does the same thing if he's viable. Um, You've got to all of a sudden really account for all three guys. You can't really, none of those three could be reliably left one-on-one downfield with time to throw. That gets into the other side of the coin, which is how healthy is Ohio State's front? And there's all these rumors right now about COVID with the defensive tackles, and that's pure supposition, so I don't want to go too far into it. But I will will say the Twitter rumors have been frighteningly accurate so far this season when it comes to COVID. So while we're not going to necessarily get into a bunch of that until something's confirmed, it does give Ohio State fans a bit of pause when those rumors are being thrown about. Right. So, you know, if those guys are out, the big problem is now your interior push gets limited and, and Alabama might be able to throw the ball downfield. I think those throw a huge variable into this game. And if you're an Ohio State fan and Waddle is 100% healthy and the DTs are out of the game um, and you you come out a little flat or or Fields is hurt and you want to say at the end of the game, look, we may play, we would have played them a lot close with those guys healthy. I know Alabama fans are going to hear it, are not going to want to hear that, but I think it's viable. I mean, I'm saying this before the game, like it. Yeah. And and that's both a positive and also a bit of a concern, right? There there's a real path to this game where. You know, Ohio State may simply be at a disadvantage because there's all these negative things. You've got a backup quarterback that I'm, I believe Stroud hasn't actually thrown a pass this year. Not a single one. Right. N- so, no backup No backup quarterback. Well, the, 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 the second and third string quarterbacks are both true freshmen. I don't think either of them have thrown a pass yet. Right. So there's a lot of negatives going against Ohio State. And you, you can watch the video for my, my preview and prediction, but it should be a little obvious by my tone here. Can Ohio State win this game? Absolutely. If Ohio State plays at the level they played against Clemson, with their understanding of Clemson's defense, they can absolutely win. My concern is there are an increasingly high number of stacked issues for Ohio State, any of which going against them probably will cost them the game against an Alabama team that, like as our model suggests, is playing whatever you think of the SEC, Alabama in and of themselves is, is at an entirely other level than just about anybody else in college football consistently throughout this year. That's an extremely high bar to meet if you don't have everything clicking. And I'm not sure that they have everything clicking. Yeah. I wrote an article last week before the sugar bowl saying that if Ohio state was going to win it, they would need to execute perfectly for the perfect game plan. And I think that they pulled that off. I don't know that I see that happening uh, a second time in a row, but I want to end on this question because it's something that I've argued with some people on Twitter about, and I've seen some people discuss it and heard it on radios and podcasts. Put it. Can you put into perspective how good this Alabama team is to say to any of the other teams in the Nick Saban era uh, in Tuscaloosa, like, is this one of the top 
half teams, top five teams? Is this the best team? Where does this team rank for you in terms of the Nick Saban Crimson Tide teams that have contended for the national championship? Ooh, that's a tough question. Um, do you mean over the course of the season or do you mean right now? I think that's an important question. Like as of the uh, team that played in their – are we going to say based off where they were at in their final bowl? Sure. Going into their last game of the season, where does this one rank? I'm going to say second. Um, oh, I think That's I, great. Yeah, I think their 2011 team was better. Um, the 2010 team as of the bowl was actually phenomenally good. They were – you know, they had guys like Marcel Darius and Julio Jones that are 10-plus-year pros that were all injured and missed games throughout the year. Um, the 11 team, though, was utterly dominant. And and people people rag that BCS, but, I mean, Oregon opened that season by beating number three Oregon like a, like a drum. Um, but if you look at, like, the 2018 Alabama team, even they were not – healthy. Uh, they were missing their top corner. They were missing all their pass rushers in that championship game last year's Alabama team without Tua, uh, and their defense was just gutted at the end of the season. They ha- they were starting third string players in the D line, uh, against Auburn and Michigan. Um, and then, you know, you back it up 2017 maybe has an argument, but I don't, I mean, until they put two in, they were really limited offensively. 2016 was a great defense the offense was very limited all year 2015 was sputtery on both sides of the ball so you know you back it all up I I will say one thing people want to compare this to 2014 these are two completely different teams one it's silly to look back six years and two quite frankly I know this may even read as an excuse to some people but you know our model had Alabama losing to Ohio State that game that's one of the first things models we did or how we entered into the public awareness I think this model had Ohio State winning that game and I was pretty adamant all that year in the the blog I happened to be writing at that time. I thought Alabama starting the year was going to be a three-loss team. That Alabama team was not super talented across the board and played over their heads. Um, Kiffin did a great job of featuring Amari Cooper. But this Alabama team is not resemble that Alabama team. This is a completely different animal. They're way more talented on both sides of the ball, and they're way more balanced on both sides of the ball. Yeah, I was hoping you would say, yeah, it's in the bottom third, but I knew it was going to be at or or near the top. So that is a very daunting task that the Ohio State team is going to have to take on on Monday night, whomever ends up suiting up for the Buckeyes uh, in the national championship game. But Josh, I appreciate your uh, insight into all of this. I always appreciate learning from you, and uh, I will definitely make sure uh, to watch part two of your national championship preview now that I'm assuming it is officially out since we've been talking for the last half an hour or so. But um, enjoy the game on on Monday and uh, enjoy the rest of the offseason, and I'm sure we'll be back to talk to you in the fall, assuming football again happens in the fall. Yeah, always a pleasure, and I really enjoy interacting with you guys. Thank you for listening to this episode of Land Grant Holy Land in Conversation. Also, thanks, of course, to Josh from College Football Nerds. You can follow them on Twitter at CFB Nerds. And you can find all of their videos on YouTube at youtube.com slash college football nerds. If you're finding this episode on the Land Grant Holy Land website, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. There is no other Ohio State podcast feed with the vastly different perspectives and focuses and, frankly, weirdness that ours has. Also, don't forget to follow Land Grant Holy Land on Twitter at LandGrant33, and you can find me on Twitter at BWWMatt. 
Thanks again for listening. We'll talk to you soon. And as always, go Bucks.